0: You'd remain standing. Our scripture comes from the gospel of John, chapter 15, verses 1 through 7. Jesus said this, I am the true vine, and my Father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me, and I will remain in you. ask whatever you wish and it will be given to you the word of God for us the people of God thanks be to God if I can invite you to be seated please it's good to be with you all here as we are gathered here today to worship God together Uh, I want to begin today by reminding you uh, that we have plenty of invitation cards in the welcome center uh, for you to take and carry with you Uh, I carry mine in my wallet Uh, these cards are intended to be a tool Uh, When the opportunity arises for you to have the opportunity to just share with someone that you attend this church, I know in normal conversation, sometimes it comes up and we're provided opportunities by God's spirit uh, to just let them know where church we attend with someone else. And so this card is for those situations. And so you can share the card. You can say this is where I attend church. It's meaningful to me. And then that's it. You don't have to, to have four points and a full paragraph or anything else to be able to rationalize it or to explain it. It's just to make the invitation and then to let God work after that. Because we have to be a people of invitation for others to experience the grace of God in this place and the community that we receive and to experience the change that comes only from encountering God in our lives. And so this morning we're going to be continuing our sermon series that we're calling Real Power. Uh, Our goal for this series is to see how prayer keeps us connected to the real power of God. Uh, we're unable to connect to God's power if we're not connected to God through our prayer life. It just doesn't work. And so prayer is how God speaks to you. Prayer is how we ask God to intercede. Prayer is how we ask God for forgiveness. It's how we ask God for, to repent. Prayer is how we seek God's guidance. Prayer does so much more than just the things I've listed. And I'm sure you could think of other things. Of ways that you've been able to pray and ways that you've been able to encounter God through prayer. And so prayer has to be central to who we are as followers of Jesus Christ and as disciples of Jesus, and prayer has to be a practice in our faith that we make essential in order to stay connected to God. And so last week we took some time to look at why it was important to pray. We also took some time to talk a little bit about hindrances to prayer. I think often our hindrances to prayer are you and I feel like we are inadequate or unable to put the right words together, but also the largest hindrance to our prayer life is sin. Sin keeps us from praying. And so often our inability to pray is that we get sin in our life and that sin takes up all of our time and all of our energy and all of our focus. And so we focus on that and we're not able to pray or we're not willing to pray. And so it gets in the way. And so last week we looked at the book of Ephesians chapter 6. In Ephesians 6, Paul's writing to the church in Ephesus. He's writing to them about the different challenges that they're facing. And he's writing to them about how they need to clothe themselves in the armor of God. How they need to equip themselves with the things that God has provided each of us in order to grow in our faith in order to remain in him. And so as Paul lists all these things like truth and righteousness and peace and faith and salvation and spirit, he goes further and he ends that by saying, you got to cover all these things with prayer. And so basically he's saying God makes all of these things available to us, but they're only available to us if we cover them in prayer and in communication with God so that we're connecting with the real power of God to receive them. And so today we're going to be looking at the Gospel of John to see how it is through prayer that Jesus invites us to abide in Him. What does it mean for us to abide in Christ? If you go and if you look, the definition um, in the dictionary is different, but the biblical definition of abide is to remain in or to stay in. So when we say that we abide in Christ, or when we read the Scriptures where it tells us or Jesus invites us to abide in Him, We are receiving an invitation from him to remain in him, to stay grounded in him, to stay rooted in him, to stay connected with him. And we're receiving an invitation to stay in relationship or to initiate and maintain a relationship that we can have with God. And so in our gospel reading this morning, Jesus teaches the disciples what it means to abide in him. Like many of his teachings that we go and read, Jesus uses ordinary things or ordinary examples to get his followers thinking. Because what he does with this example and with all of the ones that he does, whether it's a parable or another story, is his intent is to get those who are listening to him to seek out a deeper faith with God and to seek out a deeper relationship with him. Because he knows how easy it would be and he knew how easy it was for those in his day to follow the religious leaders. There were different groups, the Essenes, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the temple officials. There were all of these different groups that had different layers or, or focuses. Focuses, that's not really a word, but anyway. Um, you know, sometimes you just get going and it comes out. Um, at least it wasn't a bad word, okay. Uh, So these different groups focus on the wrong things. And I'm not saying that they weren't focused on the right thing in terms of trying to grow in their relationship with God, in terms of trying to receive forgiveness from God, in terms of offering sacrifice to God to atone for their sins. I think we could say that all of those things were right, but some of the things that they were doing was focusing on how they practiced their faith so that others could see it. Or they were focusing on, on the outward appearance of what it would mean for them to live their faith. Or they were focused on the minutiae in what it meant to follow the laws of God rather than following the laws of God themselves. And so as Jesus taught, as Jesus confronted them, as Jesus watched them, he saw how they were living in gray areas in certain laws and then how they were black and white in other laws. And then he saw how they were trying to navigate what it meant to faithfully live without fully submitting to the law. And so in Jesus' teaching, he's attempting, well, he does. He challenges the religious leaders of the day. He challenges these different groups. And at the same time, he's challenging them. He's inviting them to, to look at themselves and to change how they're practicing their faith. I think it's really easy for us when we read the Gospels to get you know, this idea that it was Jesus versus the Pharisees or Jesus versus the Sadducees, and, and there was opposition from them. I mean, they were plotting to kill him, but I think we have to remember that in every bit of opposition or teaching that Jesus uh, delivered against these groups, it was in an attempt to get them to change their ways. So he wasn't writing them off as he's confronting them. He's not writing them off and telling them that they're doing wrong and they don't ever have a chance. What he's doing is he's telling the disciples, look at what they're doing, and at the same time, he's inviting these groups to say, hey, examine yourselves, examine how you're living your faith, and examine and listen to me in the ways that you can change. Now, whether they did it or not, that was up to them, obviously, right? It's kind of like us making an invitation to invite someone to church. I mean, all we can do is make the invite what happens to them, you know, and and their reaction is them. There's nothing we can do about that, and that's okay. And so Jesus uses this common example of how his followers are to stay connected with him. In our story today, he uses the instance or the example of a vine. Uh, And I think for people that lived in an agricultural community, especially in biblical times, I think this, this example would have connected to everyone, don't you? I think even if you weren't someone that that farmed or had a garden or anything else, if you were a craftsman or or a fisherman or, or whatever it was, you still knew what happened in the vine, in the vineyards. You still knew what happened in the orchard. You still knew what happened in those people who were planting wheat and other crops. And you knew that because you walked by those fields as you went every day back and forth from whatever you were doing. You did that because you saw and you traded with these people, and so you knew when things were in season and things were not in season and what they needed to do and whether they were having a good harvest or a bad harvest or anything else like that. And so they might not have been farmers, all of them, but they certainly knew what farmers were doing. And so they were seeing what people were doing in their lives. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) Too bad it wasn't... um, Well, I'll be quiet. Okay. (laughs) All right, so when Jesus is talking about abiding in Christ, uh, he's comparing himself to the vine, isn't he? His disciples and those that are following him are, he's saying, you're the branches. And he's saying, you are to remain in the vine, you're to remain connected to the vine in order to receive nourishment. He's saying, independently, we know if a branch is cut off of a plant, it has to die, or it does die, on its own. The fruit on the, vine, on the branch dies, the, the shoots die, the leaves dry up. Everything pro- depends on the nourishment that the vine provides. See, I like it when Jesus uses these real examples that we can relate to as we talk about our spiritual lives. All right, so we often grow a few tomato plants in our backyard. Uh, some years we plant more than Mindy thinks we need, and that's usually every year. Uh, our preference is cherry tomatoes only because Addison eats cherry tomatoes like there's no tomorrow. Uh, and the cherry tomatoes we buy, I don't know if you all know, you know, you can get indeterminate types or determinate types. And so an indeterminate type, you can see on the picture, are the ones that look overgrown and, and they're going everywhere. And then determinate types are the types that, you know, once they get to their, their mature size, they stop growing and they stop putting on leaf, or they put on leaves, but they stop adding to um, the plant. And so here's the thing. When I plant determinate types, I, always, I have to stay on top of them all season. And usually I stay on top of them uh, through May and June through basketball. And then it's usually about the time July hits and we're doing volleyball. You know, the, my end plants just go crazy. My tomatoes are everywhere. And so I'm out there with string and I'm tying them up and I'm anchoring them to the fence. And I'm doing all sorts of things. Really, I should just plan ahead and buy t- determinate pota- tomato types. Uh, then I wouldn't have to worry about it. But the the reason I'm doing that is if you go and you see a vine and it's leaned over, it usually kinks itself, right? And if there's a kink in the vine, what happens to the fruit at the end? It dies. Or it wilts up, or it shrivels, or, or it's just not worth anything. And this is what Jesus is getting people to talk about. He's using these real world, real things for us to think about and look at when we talk about our faith. And so if we look at this example that Jesus uses spiritually, he tells us for us to abide in him and for us to produce fruit, we have to stay connected to the vine. For us to abide in Christ, we have to look to him for everything. That means we're looking to him for our decisions, for our thoughts, for our feelings, for our resolutions, for uh, whatever it is that we have to offer to him. We have to give it to him. And we have to look to Jesus to discover his plan and purpose for our lives. And so to abide in Christ is to renounce our independent life and to acknowledge that we depend on him. For us to abide in Jesus, we have to renounce our independent life and we have to acknowledge that we are in submission to someone and something that is far greater than we are and far greater than we ever can be. And so friends, one of the most important things that you and I can do to abide in Jesus is to pray to pray for his guidance and direction, to pray for his spirit to fill our hearts, to pray for his guidance for our thoughts. If we are intentional in connecting to God, we have to pray that we stay connected to that real power that he provides. And so we, if we choose to abide in Christ, then our prayer is that his desires become our desires. As we start making decisions, as we start making life choices, as we do different things, we'll begin to have the mind of that like Christ in the way we make our decisions. His desires will become our desires in the way that we pray. As we pray for more than just our needs, our preferences, and whatever else, we begin to pray for what Christ can do as well. But there's some things we have to do to abide in Christ. the first thing you have to do is to make sure you're a Christian to abide in Jesus. We have to make sure that that we are fully followers, that we are fully committed, that we have to fully accept the sacrifice that God made through the sending of His Son. We have to believe that Jesus' death on the cross was the ultimate sacrifice, the ultimate payment for your sins. We have to accept that Jesus died for our sins. And we have to accept that in His death you have been forgiven. See, there's a lot of people that that can't get over that, that they can't let go of of the things that they have done and the sins that they have committed, and they can't fully accept that Jesus has forgiven them. And so they ask Jesus to guide them and direct them to to be in their lives, to, to do all the things that they do, but when it comes to Jesus being in their lives, they can't fully accept the forgiveness that he's offered. Friends, for us to fully be Christians, we have to accept that he has forgiven us even for those things that we don't want to talk to other people about, even for those things that happen that we're not real proud about, Jesus has forgiven you for that. And we have to accept that. Because God has let them go, and we have to let them go. We have to forgive ourselves in the same way that Jesus has forgiven us. With Christ, the slate is wiped clean. And we choose to leave sin behind. And in Christ, our salvation is assured, and we ask the Holy Spirit to equip and enable us to live for Him. The second thing we have to do to abide in Christ is, in Jesus' words, He says, you have to be in me so that I can be in you. We cannot claim to know the work of Jesus. We cannot claim to know the faithfulness of God if we're not immersing ourselves in God's Word. God's Word adds to our prayers. God's Word provides the language of God to stay connected with the real power of God. For us to know the language of God, we have to be reading it. Look at what Jesus told His disciples. If you remain in me, and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be given to you. If we're to abide in Jesus, we must invite Him to abide in us And for him to abide in us, we have to know his word. That's part of why I love the Bible through a year readings that you can read online. Because I think it's really easy for us if we read just devotional books that are great. Don't get me wrong. I mean, devotional books are wonderful. But I think sometimes we skip some of the parts of the Bible that we don't read otherwise. I mean, when else do you slog through the book of Ezekiel? That's where I'm at right now. That was this morning. Um, you know, but when else do you read some of these other books of the Bible that, that there's not a lot, that that are not many verses in them that are used, you know, in the different devotional books or or studies? Because, friends, for us to abide in Christ, we have to have Christ abide in us. And that means having his word dwell in us. So that his word is written on our hearts, so that his word is written in our hearts, so that his word soaks into our hearts, so that we can obey them, so that we can have them in our memory, and so that we can let them shape our daily life. The word of God gives us all that we need to know about Jesus, and the word of God equips us to receive the Holy Spirit. Jesus said this himself in John six sixty three. he writes, The Spirit gives life, the flesh counts for nothing, the words I have spoken to you are spirit and they are life. So what he's saying is I've given you everything you have needed. You need. Through the spirit and through his words, we can receive life. And that means being in the word of God. When it comes to prayer, if we feel powerless in prayer, maybe one of the things we have to do is we have to look at and say, am I neglecting the word of God in my life? Am I neglecting the words of Jesus? Are they not in my hearts? Am I making it difficult for Jesus to abide in me? I think it's contrary to what some people believe, but the most faithful people who walk closely with Jesus and who abide in Him and have Him abide in them, they didn't get there by some extraordinary, miraculous thing. Think about it. Think about the people that you know of or that have been in your life that, that you have looked to and have admired their Christian walk. My guess is, is almost all of, uh, I'll, I, should, I should say almost all because I'm sure there's one person that a miraculous thing happened and that's how they abide with Christ. But I think for most of us and the people we think of, it's people that we think of that have been methodical, that have been um, intentional, and that have chosen To regularly study God's Word and to regularly engage in prayer. That's how they've gotten there. Because they have regularly and they have faithfully fed on the Word of God. They've lifted up their joys, they've shared their thanksgivings, and they have sought God's blessing and sought God's action through prayer. But that's because God's Word abides in them, and they have been in God's Word. And they have placed themselves in a place to where God touched their hearts and changed their hearts. See, when God's word abides in us, then it's only natural that God's word will be present as we lift our prayers to him. To start is easy. Read God's word and dwell on it. Then ask God to reveal himself to you through the words of scripture. And then pray. Pray and ask God's word to form itself in your heart so that you can be in communication with himself. But we have to fuel our prayer lives with his word. We have to be in communication with him to abide in him. We need to keep the line open that connects us to the real power. And that line is through our prayers. I want to end today with a short template for prayer that I'm sure is familiar to many and unfamiliar to others. Uh, For the past 20 years, I've used this prayer template in leading pastoral prayers in worship services. In fact, um, I usually write it on the top of my bulletin, the letters, just to remind me, so that as I pray, I can structure my prayer in the way that this prayer models. I found it effective when there's a lot going on. And I'm not being very organized in my thoughts. And in my prayers or when th- other things are, are, are working through my mind or, or trying to take my attention. If we can focus on one thing a time, at a time, it helps us to be in communication with God. And so some of you may have used this prayer. Next week I'll share another common one that I'm sure many of you have, are familiar with. But I think it's easy for us to begin our prayers with A, with adoration. Where we just praise God for all he is for all that he has done, for his faithfulness, for his work in our lives and every other word that we can think of, whatever it is that comes to us that day. The second is confession, where we confess our sins to God, where we acknowledge our shortcomings and we set them aside. The third is thankfulness. What am I thankful for? Who am I thankful for? How am I thankful? And then the last is supplication, which what are your requests that you lift to God? both for you and for others. I think it's easy for us to focus on one thing, Uh, depending on the day, depending on our mood, depending on where we're at, depending on where we are spiritually. But it's good for us to focus on all things. As we give God praise, as we confess our sins, as we thank Him for the blessings in our lives, and then as we ask for Him to work in and through our lives by the power of His Holy Spirit. See, friends, there's no perfect way for us to pray. But if we're in the word of God, then our prayers will be in his words as he guides us and as we choose and as we engage in communication with him. May he abide in us. Would you pray with me? God, we're grateful that you give us the opportunity to communicate with you in the way that your son Jesus taught us, as well as in just the ways that, that you speak and your spirit guides us through our hearts. And so, God, we pray that we would be a people of prayer and that through our prayer we would abide in You. As we study Your Word and as we talk to You, we pray that You would open our eyes, that You would open our hearts, and that You would help us to be faithful to You. Amen.